Okay. All right. Church on the Hill community, welcome to our, uh, mm-hmm. our service here on July 3rd. It's, it's uh, being broadcast. It's the 4th of July weekend. And wherever you are, whether you're in the U.S. or you're overseas or maybe you're not even an American. And so the 4th of July uh, is not a big deal. But um, it's a weekend uh, in our nation where we celebrate freedom. We celebrate an independence from, from uh, Great Britain and from a monarchy and so forth. Um, and it's in this country, it's hamburgers and fireworks. Yeah, hamburgers, hot dogs, fireworks. So I, I hope you've already been to the grocery store. It's going to be packed if you're here in the U.S. And uh, what an apt uh, opportunity, too, because we've been in our sermon series called The Freedom Gospel. And, and Paul's declaring a, a freedom. Um, and he, he's fighting for that freedom because uh, the reality is uh, freedom is costly. And it doesn't just stick around without effort and sacrifice. And uh, he's speaking of a spiritual freedom. Uh, and we have a, a certain independence here in the U.S. from, from tyranny. Uh, and we want to look at what, are the, what is the tyranny that Paul's talking about? Because he, he's been kind of really doubling down on the tyranny of the law and our inability in the flesh to uh, fulfill the law. But now he's going to talk about another kind of tyranny. Yeah. You might be watching this in your... Um a veteran and, mm-hmm. or an active military. Or, but we owe a huge debt of gratitude. Yep. We realize that war is complex. We realize that conflict is, is complicated. But um, freedom isn't free. Uh, and freedom is fragile. Freedom isn't, isn't this perfect nirvana on earth. Freedom is fragile. It's always fluid. And I think in the last few years with... Um, the debate about freedoms around COVID and lockdowns and, and protests and the freedom to do this and the freedom to do that, I think has brought to the surface some of this, some of this, uh, these emotions and feelings around the idea of, well, even what, what is freedom and uh, where does it come from and how does it stay and who's in charge and so forth. So we're going to look today in the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter five, the latter half of the chapter, but um, we'd like to just invite you to lean in and just, just listen for a few minutes as we listen to the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago. Talk to these churches about their freedom. Yeah. Yeah, I want you to just bow your heads with us before we go any farther. And let's, uh, let's make sure that we're, we're not just talking to one another. I mean, that's great. We, we call that fellowship. But we, we need to be in dialogue and conversation with God. So I want you, wherever you're at, just bow your head with me. Um. Father, we recognize just even the very concept of freedom um, implies that there's an alternative to it of slavery, of bondage. Um, and we want to understand what freedom is from, from you, the creator of it, and, and how to, to walk in it, how to um, not just use it as, as an indulgence for our passions, but to, to live in that freedom the way you call us to live. So God, would you just speak to our, our minds, our intellect? Uh, would you speak to our, our heart, um, our, our passions, our emotions? And God, would you speak to our, our spirit that you put in us? God, and call us up yeah. to live by the spirit. Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, there's a quote that I use oftentimes when performing a wedding ceremony. Um, it's by a writer of, of a century ago. 
He was an English writer named G.K. Chesterton, wrote a lot of different books and a lot of, a lot of articles. But in this particular article, he says these words, The more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. You hear what he's saying there? He, he says, uh, as I look at Christianity, it was, uh, it, it was built on, on, on law and order. And he, I think he's giving a nod to the Old Testament. But he says, but the real beauty, the chief aim was to give room for freedom, for good things to run wild. I, the reason I use it in a marriage ceremony so often is because that's a very, uh, a very appropriate context for this idea. That within the context of commitment and relationship and two people who have promised to be faithful and love one another until death do them part or whatever, then they can enjoy all the other things that come with the, the marriage package, if you will, the, the fellowship, the, the sexuality, the highs and the lows, the trust and so on. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's crazy how the law, the context framework gives the ability for things God gave to bless us to run wild. Think about that established rule and order that G.K. Chesterton is talking about as kind of like a, a really, really big backyard. And, and when you have a, a big backyard and kids, you want to you wanna put a fence around it. Why? To, to protect the kids. But so that they can enjoy the entire backyard. So they could go wild in that backyard and, and run and play and do what they were created to do. And, and that's kind of what, what, what God has, has done for us. And matter of fact, Jesus even said that he's the gate. He's the way in to that. And so we have to go only in one way. And then we have that, that protection of being in there. But not to be hindered, not to be stopped, but to be allowed to be what we're created to be. Surveys, or not surveys, but studies have been done on children. And one of those studies, you may have heard of it, is they had a fenced in playground and, and there was someone there filming the children on that playground. And then what they did overnight was they took the, and the children played all over the property. They went all over to the very perimeters. Overnight, they took down the fence. So the same amount of land, the same children in the same space, when the fence was down, all congregated around the center where, the, where, the, where the, the climbing toys were. But they didn't venture out near the street because the boundary had come down. So God, the, the God of the, the Bible is a God of boundaries. And sometimes we see those boundaries as stifling. We see those boundaries as taking away our freedom, squashing our freedom, oppressive, right? And, and, and some boundaries could be that. But listen, God puts up boundaries so that we can enjoy everything that he's created. But it really takes some honest reflection. Am I mad at the boundaries or am I mad at the God who put them there? Yep. Wise loving limits is what we talk about when parenting. Yeah. So let's look at Galatians. We left off here uh, last week and, and we, we read this piece, but we want to start here this week in Galatians 5, 13 and 19. Open your Bibles if you're in a place where you can. Follow along. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Or is for freedom you've been set free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh but rather serve one another humbly in love. Up until now, uh, all through this series, Paul has been talking about be careful not to lose your freedom to, mm -hmm. to legalists, not to lose your freedom to moralists, not to lose your freedom to an old way of living in an old structure that's now been done away with. 
Now Paul is going to, in a sense, mm -hmm. flip the coin and say, I don't want you to abuse your freedom. I don't want you to take your freedom and, and, and by exercising it, you hurt other people. Mm -hmm. So that's, he's describing, in a sense, the, the two sides of a, of, a, of, our, of a coin or the mm -hmm. two sides of our, of our fallen condition. You, you know what I thought about this week as I was reading this? I thought about um, how an ambassador in another country has diplomatic immunity. So they, they're in another country, but because they're, they're a sovereign citizen of the country they came from, uh, those laws don't actually apply to them. They live by the laws of another kingdom, but they can either use that as a way to serve the place that they live in, or they can abuse it. Is that, you can't you know, find me for anything. I'll park anywhere I want. I'll, I'll, I'll hurt anyone I want. I'll do anything I want. And then they're not representing the place that they came from as, as an ambassador to the new place. They're not representing them there well at all. In a way, that's kind of what Paul is saying. Paul said, hey, you, you're in another kingdom and you, you live by other rules. But if, if you're using mm -hmm. that freedom to abuse the people around you, you don't understand the kingdom you're from at all. Think of these two words that help us understand this. One word is legalism. Legalism is a conservative approach to life. Legalism is finding a list or making a list of rules or boxes that get checked. And legalism is, is strict boundaries. And if you cross those boundaries, you're penalized or you're, 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 you know, you're, 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 you're stopped, right? And so it's a, it, it appears to be good because it appears to be a very conservative approach. Mm -hmm. But think about it. What happens if, if my conservative approach is really just my way of creating my playing field, my, my boundaries, my structure, and that's my righteousness. Mm -hmm. This is what Paul was talking about. Are you foolish Galatians? You're going to go back to that old structure where man is in control of all those boundaries. Mm -hmm. It can be a, a, a sense of, I'm going to create my own personal pathway to salvation. And here's the structure. And there's, a, there's a trap in, uh, in legalism and and I would tend towards that sort of conservative bent, I think, just, just naturally of who I am. Um, I, you know, I like to know, well, what, what are the rules here? What, you know, what are you supposed to do? What are you not supposed to do? It just makes me feel comfortable to know that. You know, uh, my wife, even more so, if we pull out a game to start to play something, uh, the first thing my wife wants to do is read the rules. Well, let's read the rules so we can play this properly. Well, I'm like, let's just throw, roll some dice and move some things around and let, let's just see what happens. But the trap in the legalism is knowing and not doing, thinking that knowing the rules is enough. Oh yeah, I, I know the rules. I could tell you rules one through 10. I could tell you to them in order. I, I learned them when I was a little kid. Uh, knowing them is great, but that should also produce in you a certain humility to say, uh, I know not to steal, but I know not to lie, but I've got to admit I've struggled with that one here and there. I know to put God first, but it hasn't really worked out. And thinking that just knowing them is our righteousness. And there's a character that Jesus would describe in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that goes along with this. It's the, can you guess what it is? It's the, it's the rich young ruler. Mm -hmm. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to get into heaven? And Jesus, said, well, you, and Jesus gives him the boxes. Well, you know the commandments. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't do this. Don't do that. And he said, I've kept all those. And Jesus looks at him. And the Bible says he loves him. And he says, there's one thing you lack. He said, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have and come follow me. And so Jesus puts his finger 
on the one thing, even though he had checked all these other boxes, Jesus puts his finger on the thing that had his heart, mm -hmm. which was his wealth. So license is the, the other side of the coin mm -hmm. of that. So it, it's, it's related, but it's, it's the same problem in a, in a different face, right? And, and license is, think of it like this, because I think it's a term that pastors like to use, but maybe we don't use it a lot mm -hmm. uh, outside of this. But uh, 007 had a license to kill. He, he had a, the opportunity. Like, he wasn't going to be prosecuted for what he did. And so license is a, is a choice to say, you know what, uh, I'm, I get to do whatever I want. I have a freedom and I'm going to use that freedom to indulge myself and I'm going to use and possibly abuse other people. I, I see them as resources for me to use up. It's a, it's a, it's a self-centered, it, 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 it indulges the, the flesh and it, and it uses people as, as a resource and it, it leaves a, a terrible wake behind it. People that give in to license mm -hmm. end up in some form of abuse, either mm -hmm. of other people, like you said, or even of themselves. If you want an example of this in the New Testament, again, is a story that Jesus told. A certain man had two sons. One stayed behind to work the farm. He was a good boy and he kept all the rules. The other took his father's inheritance and went off into a far country and spent it on wine and women and song and so forth. And that young man found himself eating pig slop, eating pig food, because there was a famine and he'd run out of money and he'd run out of friends. Those two things usually go together. So you have this, this man who had indulged himself. himself. He'd, he'd, he'd opened himself up to doing whatever he wanted. I'm free now. I'm, I'm not living in my father's house. I've got enough money to do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. But that freedom actually dis almost destroyed his life, right? So both legalism and license, right? Can I, can I can say take, to squeeze the life out of us? Think about that. In those two stories, they end very differently, don't they? And I'd say there is a reality that both uh, have an inability to save you. But in the license one, I think we really, really struggle to find our way to Jesus because we don't see our need. Now, you meet someone who's at rock bottom, uh, the prodigal, right? You, maybe you've been at rock bottom. The prodigal was at as deep rock bombs you get it filling his stomach with the husks that the, that the pigs would eat and he, he and that something came alive in him wait a minute but the rich young ruler he doesn't feel that he's rich he's young and he is a ruler he doesn't feel the depravity of his soul where the particle does and so while they're 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 both have no ability to save us one can actually tend towards moving us to Jesus and the other one moves us sometimes more to pride. I'm not recommending one over the other. They're both mistakes. And it's interesting that both of these examples, the rich young ruler or the prodigal, legalism and license, at their core are self-centered. They're self-conscious. They're self-absorbed. The focus is on them. The end game is all about them. Have, and, and, and in either case, the interesting thing is after working with people for decades is in either case, it produces a blindness mm -hmm. that is so hard to cut through without some kind of divine intervention. The psalmist in the Old Testament said, the entrance of your word gives light. Mm -hmm. Without some new light, it's very difficult to break the chains. That's why 
humility is such a powerful thing because humility opens the door for grace. Yeah, it's crazy. Both Bruce and I have seen, now neither one of us are addiction specialists, but I've, I've watched people who, who work in that world, who, who have a godly worldview, who will actually turn people away because they just say, hey, you know, you're not, you're not ready to get sober yet. You're not ready to do this yet because they're still in that, in that license. They're still a self-centered person. They're, they're, they can't get off of their own personal freedoms. They're, they're stuck in that place. And until they hit that, that wall, they'll just say, well, come back, come back when you're ready and, and we'll talk. It's interesting that addiction produces a physical stubbornness. Mm -hmm. You can say, I was just having a conversation just the other day with a young man who's addicted to meth. We had some conversation and he was saying to me, it's really hard to get off of meth. It's really hard to get free. And I agree. I totally agree. You have your, your body is stubborn right now. Your body is saying, I'm not going to let go of you. But I think there's an emotional and spiritual stubbornness that is just as dangerous. Yeah. Now, now, meth addiction and drug addiction is awful. But boy, I've worked with people in conflict who have had a, an emotional stubbornness that I'm not going to give in. I'm going to win this argument. I'm going to get my way in this. I'm not going to lose in this. I'm not going to humble myself. Mm -hmm. Listen, that kind of stubbornness can be just as dangerous as a physical addiction. Mm -hmm. So Paul now says, listen, he said, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Paul's going to take the, the entire law, the Torah and the, and the history and the tradition and the Ten Commandments and said, listen, one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's your homework. That's our homework <laughs> for the next 50 years. This is one of those things that we say, uh, this is not complicated. It's incredibly <laughs> simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> I mean, it's beyond that. That's it's not simplistic. Yeah, right. It's like, uh, hey, I want you to lift those that 5,000 pounds. It's, it's simple. It's, it's not complicated. You just need to lift that 5,000 pounds. It's just not going to be easy. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. He says, if in verse 15 now, chapter 5, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by one another. I mean, those are pretty... Uh, those are pretty, uh, pretty drastic words. Those are, those, are, those are word pictures. They invoke some, if you bite and devour one another, he says, be careful. You're going to be destroyed by one another. That, the, the words bite and devour uh, in, in the original language are, are, are these words to wound, to cut, and to consume the soul of another. To wound, cut, and consume. So there's this picture... <laughs> There's this picture he's painting here. We've all seen uh, videos of the Wild Kingdom, right? right? Where the lion is just kind of sitting in the bushes and he's just a, wow, an impressive lion, a beautiful lion. And all of a sudden, an antelope runs by and that lion just, just bolts after that antelope and chases him down for several hundred yards and then rips him to shreds. And if you're an animal lover in every sense of the word, that's a pretty disturbing picture. A predator is destroying, biting, devouring, and consuming the object of its chase, right? So it's got this, it's got this bestiality idea in there, this, this bestiality that, man, this is terrible. This is raw. This is, yeah. this is and rugged. The, the crazy thing is the place where we see it the most isn't with strangers. I mean, that, 
that kind of makes the news, like there's some road rage moment. But really, those are outliers. Where this tends to happen is with the ones we love in, in family, in, in close business partnerships, in, in marriage. You, we'll, we'll see a couple, and, and they will have stood before one another, often one of us stood before us and a congregation and said, I will love you until death do us part. No matter what, I, my choice is to love you. And then somewhere down the road, years later, they, they've turned on one another. They've decided, you're my enemy, and you were, you were supposed to love me. So now I, I, it, it turns into a, a hatred and a desire to destroy one another. We've watched people choose to destroy each other because they just refuse to do what the Scripture says, because even though it is simple, it is incredibly hard, and that is to love one another. And the definition of love is lived out by Jesus on the cross when he sacrifices. So isn't that the opposite, right, of, of biting and devouring one another? That he allowed sin to kind of bite and devour him. He laid his life down. Rather than taking your life, he laid his down. That's what they'd committed to do. I will lay my life down for you. But somewhere along the line, they started to pick it back up again. They started to indulge the flesh again. They started to live in, in license again. And it ends up in destruction. In working with couples for many, many years, there are certain actions that even though they're not um, necessarily physical, so to speak, but they're actions that bite and devour. And if those actions are present, it's a good sign that that marriage is headed for the brink of the falls. It's headed for a breakup. Criticism, uh -huh. anger, contempt towards the other. And it's not just marriage, but in any, in any relationship. Criticism, gossip, anger, contempt. Those are attitudes of the heart that cut deep. You know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's just not true. Because when someone close to us yeah who we love and who we once had deep, intimate relationship with, when they cut me with words, when they cut me with criticism, when they cut me with just a demeaning sort of a, an attitude towards me, I feel it deep. It may not cut my skin, but I feel it deep inside of my heart. And Paul's not, you know, just, just making up a new law in a vacuum here. For one, yeah. for one, he's taking it from the Gospels, but Jesus in the Gospels is actually taking it from the law, Leviticus 18 and 19. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Not seek revenge or bear a grudge against any one of your people. Seek, seek revenge or bear a grudge. If you will decide not to do those two things in a conflict, I can almost predict, okay, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. So if you choose instead, no, I'm going to, I have to make you pay. For what you did, I have to make you pay. And you, then you're placing yourself in, in the position of God who forgave you from your sins. You've put yourself, you've taken him from the throne where it says at the very end, the, the very last words, I am the Lord. You've now made yourself the Lord and you're going to bear a grudge and seek revenge. And it's, it's the death of a relationship. If, however, you will choose to say, nope, the re revenge is mine, saith the Lord. That belongs to him and not to me. My job is to extend forgiveness and to love my neighbor as myself. Then it, I promise you, as painful as it is, because that's you paying yeah. the, the price, as painful as that is, there is now hope for, for the redemption of that relationship. Isn't that what unforgiveness is? 
Unforgiveness is you hurt me and I won't forgive you. Right. You're going to pay. So unforgiveness is this burden of a debt. Isn't it interesting, we were talking earlier about boundaries and, and structure. That, that Those words in Leviticus were given thousands of years, even before Jesus. Thousands of years before we came along. And yet how, 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 how applicable are those words even today, oh, yeah. right? Where in the context, what was God doing? Was God trying to make their lives miserable by giving them these words? No. He was trying to help them be a community that flourished. He was trying to help them be the community of God on the earth. A picture of heaven come down to earth. Mm -hmm. Did they keep it? Sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. So now Paul is going to shift into, well, let me tell you how this is possible. Because if it's just theory, that sounds great. But how does it actually happen in a relationship? And here's what he says. So... He says in verse 19, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now watch, Paul's going to use this word flesh five times in just a few verses. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. The spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Don't do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law anymore. So Paul is describing this sort of, uh, this, sort of um, this new way of looking at us, looking at ourselves. He's saying, listen, in a sense, he's kind of saying, listen, there's two things inside of you going on. There's, there's this new, to the church in Galatians here, he said, listen, there's a new creature. Second Corinthians said, if anyone is born again, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become. That word become is a, is, a, is, a, is a tense that means are becoming new. So Paul's saying there is a new spirit at work in you, but there's also <laughs> yeah. this thing called the flesh. Yeah, John Piper has a great uh, quote on great. the flesh. Because I, I know sometimes you feel like, oh, it almost feels or sounds like a King James kind of like, what do you mean when you mean the flesh? Mm -hmm. Do you mean this, just this skin suit is... Am, am I, is everything that I do that's fleshy, is, is that a sin? Uh, but it, it's, it's not that, because God created this. It's not that this is sinful. The, the way John Piper says it is this, is flesh is the old ego that is self-reliant and does not delight to yield to any authority or depend on any mercy. It craves the sensation of self-generated power and loves the praise of men. Look, we should leave that on the screen because that's, that's deep and it deserves a little bit of you know, thought. Matter of fact, note that down if you can and just go over that and see. See if that isn't like, oh yeah, can you relate to any of that? Is there, is there a part of you, the old self or the ego, that does not delight to yield to any authority? I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and they say, I, you know, I just have an authority problem. That's just, just my thing. I have authority problem. Like, well, how's, how's that working out for you? Because there's no one that is that is immune from authority everyone has authority over them no matter how far up the chain you go there there's an authority over you even if somehow you've made it to the elon musk ruler of the world level god is an authority over you so if you have an authority problem you have a god problem but oftentimes you'll want to fight downstream with something that's going on down here but you need to go upstream i need to go upstream to my authority problem with yeah. god's right to rule and reign in my life. Remember when Jesus was, a, a, it was right before the Last Supper and he told his disciples, I'm going away. Mm -hmm. 
and they were sad. But he said, no, listen, I need to go away because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Comforter. What, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus that has come into the world. And, and, it, and, and Scripture says it both convicts men of sin, but it also assures men and women of salvation. So what we're describing here is my old life. When I became a believer in my mid-20s, I didn't get a brand new body. It, it was, when you looked at me on the outside, it was still, hey, we recognize you, you're Bruce. But something new had begun to come alive inside of me that was dead before. That's called resurrection life. But listen, since that time for the last 40-some years, that old Bruce still shows up once in a while and in, 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 in manifests selfishness and manifests anger, manifests impatience and judgmental attitudes and stubbornness and, and gossip and so on and so forth, right? Listen, the flesh doesn't get totally... Some, some people have amazing testimonies of major issues that disappeared. Mm -hmm. Some stuff in my life disappeared instantly, but other stuff just seems to yeah. hang on. I'm convinced this is why Scripture describes this as, as a continual putting to death the deeds of the flesh, or another way it describes it is as living as a living sacrifice, mm -hmm. because there's, there's a part of me that's always going to want to self-indulge, all, always going to want to be my own authority and not allow any other authority over me. And, and Paul describes what that life looks like, and it's pretty ugly. Listen, in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. So if you're wondering, like, oh, what, did, I just, did I just sin? Is this, you know, he, he says, actually, it's, it's pretty obvious, the acts of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So remember, okay, pay attention to the path that Paul's talking about here. Because on the one hand, up until now, he's been saying the, the law isn't enough. His law is not going to do it. But then he's, he says, now here's a bunch of stuff that if you indulge in this, th this will kill you. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. So it's really important to remember what he just said previous to this. What he's describing isn't a list of to-dos and not-to-dos, although those exist. He's trying to describe walking in the Spirit. He says the way to not do these things is not to sit around and go, don't, don't, don't have hatred in your heart. Don't have discord. Don't, don't, don't fly into a fit of rage today. Uh, stop with your envy and, 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 your, and your drunkenness. He says, no, no, no. That's just the flesh trying to beat the flesh, and, and the flesh will never win over the flesh. What you have to do instead is walk in the Spirit. What he's describing in that list of 15 different things, more or less, he's describing what ungodliness yeah. looks like. Ungodliness is the absence of God in someone's life. It doesn't matter whether you have a Bible degree. It doesn't matter whether you were raised in a church. It doesn't matter whether you live on the street. Ungodliness is the absence of the Spirit of God in operation in your life. And so what Paul is saying that if these things are coming out of me, if I'm if those who live like this, if these things, hatred, discord, envy, drunkenness, immorality, if those things are coming out of me on a regular basis, 
something is missing. And he warns us, you're in danger of missing the kingdom of God. There has been a perversion of Christian teaching and a perversion of the teaching of grace that has said something like I'm going to say right now. Hey, we're saved by grace. It doesn't matter what we do anymore. Listen, that is just a lie from the pit of hell because we all know it matters what people do that are in relationship with us. It matters how people act. Now, again, we have to be careful because we're, we're not saved by, by checking the boxes of our actions and, and we're not damned because we miss the mark or we slip up. But listen, it's an, it's, it's an abuse of our freedom to say, well, I can partake in these things and still say, I'm trying to be godly. Mm-hmm. Very, very dangerous ground there. As a matter of fact, it's a, just think about it. It's a little thought experiment. Have those actions brought heaven or hell to earth and and really try to try to ground this in in real life you know in in the in the small in the in the nuclear family have those actions that paul just described have they brought good things to that family they brought the kingdom of god and freedom to that family or have they destroyed it uh business if those things are practiced in business well does that business prosper or does it does it fail uh in church you know i i mean goodness We've seen this, right? We're not fools and we're not going to pretend like this hasn't happened. We've seen churches tear themselves apart because of envy, because of factions, because of selfish ambition. And, and listen, these are like Bruce just said, what this is, is the absence of God. It's, it's living and acting as if God doesn't exist and my actions don't have consequences. And the reality is that's just not true. In America, we, we talk about our freedom. We, we love our freedom. And, and we'll often say when explaining it, my freedom ends where someone's nose begins. In other words, I, you're free to do whatever you want, just don't hurt anybody is kind of the idea. What, what God says, what faith in, in Jesus says, is that actually all of my actions have consequences. You know, I might feel like well, I've, I've just chose to, to have a different sexuality than everybody else, but I'm not hurting anybody else. I, I promise you that does have consequences to to your city, to your culture, to your family. All of it does. There's a ripple effect that comes into play. You know, um, what Jason just said, when you see those in a marriage or in a church or in a city or, or in a workplace, what you, you don't find what Paul's about to list in just a second here. You, you, you don't find peace and joy and love and harmony. You, you don't find heaven on earth. You find it, it, it's a hellish experience. It's a hellish environment. This, Paul, in a sense, in, these, in those few verses, 19, 20, 21, those 15 things, he's describing hell. He's describing the essence, the absence of God's goodness and grace. So um, listen to now the, 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 the other side of the coin. He said, but... Remember, the first side is the acts of the flesh, the acts of this unsubmitted person inside of me in the name of freedom, doing whatever. And and Paul, in that that passage, he rips the facade off because today we're being told, listen, freedom of expression is the best thing. Finding yourself is really where it's at. Um, Don't judge anybody else and so on and so forth. In In that passage, Paul rips the facade off and says, no, no, these are works of darkness, But, he said, the fruit of the Spirit of God in us 
in, in you is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified that flesh, those urges, those impulses, those decisions with its passions and desires. We've crucified that flesh. Now he's describing in these nine, these nine items, he's describing godliness, the fruit of the presence of God in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my children, in our community. And, and he's making a, a very big and important assumption here, or else he would be accused of just making a new list of, of boxes to check off. Okay, well, now I've got to have love, I've got to have joy, I've got to have peace, I've got to, you know, have I been patient today? Have I been kind today? But he's, he's making an assumption, as Scripture says here, those that are Christ. He's assuming this battle has been won for you, that you've chose, that you are now chosen by God. You, that battle has been won, you're in, so that this is now a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, what that looks like of that battle being won, is these things will start to be produced in your life. Now, I was just in someone's backyard uh, this afternoon, and um, they are, they're, they're gonna get married in that backyard in, in August. I'm very excited to, to be a part of that day for them. And uh, it was a beautiful backyard and they were pointing out a, a small orchard that they started. And some of the trees had been there for a while and some were brand new. And they had different kinds of fruit on them. They weren't all the same kind of tree. And because of their maturity, some bore more and some bore less. And, and so, listen, <laughs> there'll be times of, of greater fruitfulness and, and depth, but this is, this is a sign. Now, if one of those trees after years just didn't have any fruit on it, they'd have to ask the question, eh, is, that, is that tree even alive? Is, that, is there something wrong with the roots? Is it not connected to nutrition, to sunlight, to, to water? Because there's no evidence here that this is even a fruit tree or what this is. And so what the fruit of the Spirit is, it's, it's the evidence that that battle has been won, that Jesus is the Lord of my life and that he's the authority. I've yielded to him. And once I've yielded to him, these things will start to show up in my life. That doesn't mean there's no effort on my part in it. They'll just, they'll just show up one day. No, but my effort is into union with Christ. The same way a fruit tree doesn't try to produce fruit. It tries to get nutrition out of the ground. It tries to get sunlight. It'll, it'll move wherever the sun is. Those branches will start to grow that direction. Wherever the water is, those roots will start to go that way. And then the fruit just comes because of it. And so what's my responsibility in this? My responsibility is union with Christ. That to, to be connected to him, that, that he is the authority of my life, and then that fruit will start to show. Just imagine if I had a, a tree in my backyard that was uh, not a fruit tree, but I liked that tree. I had some kind of affinity with that tree. I said, but you know, I wish it produced fruit, but it's not a fruit-producing tree, so I'm going to go out at night. I'm going I'm to tape apples to the branches. And then I walked out one more. I'm going to tape oranges or cherries to to the branches. And I walked out one morning and said, oh, look at that. There's wonderful sweet oranges on that tree. And I cut those oranges off and opened them up and they were sweet and so forth. But there'd have to come a time where I told myself the truth. That tree is never going to produce any sweet fruit. That ugly list, sexual immorality, rage, impurity, mm -hmm. hatred, discord. We have to come to the place 
where we admit that tree that I've allowed to stay in the orchard has to be cut down. It has to be thrown into the fire and burned. And I can't kid myself that one day this is going to produce fruit. In the, in the real world, we would call that making excuses, right? Well, that's just the way I am. I'm an angry man because of my father. I'm a, I'm a lustful person because of my, my upbringing. I'm, I'm this or I'm that. Uh, but listen, we have to tell the truth. And we have to ask, we have to do like a, a, a sort of an inner examination is what I'm doing producing fruit in my life that is sweet mm-hmm. and that feeds me and feeds the people I, I love. In, a, in another letter Paul wrote to the Colossians, he's having a similar discussion with them, but he doesn't just list the, the, the flesh and, and what it produces, the works of the flesh, but he says to put it to death, and we'll read it in the New Living uh, to make it a, a little bit more understandable. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, that sound, it just sounds like a living thing, right? Like there's something in me that, that has, to, has to die. It says, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. He, and he's describing like, hey, you've got a job to do. Uh, if, if you want this to be healthy, there's some predators that are going to have to be put down. And, and since they're living inside of me, what does that mean? I mean, this, this isn't something, this isn't someone else. This is me. The one he's talking about that needs to be put to death, these are parts of the old me that has to be dealt with. And, and I, now, now me, the, the, the identity that I have in Christ, the new creation, the born again part of me, has a responsibility to, to look at the old me and go, oh man, there's some things here that need to die. Paul will wrap up this chapter and say, listen, since we live by the Spirit, the Spirit, since the Spirit is our life, since godliness is my pursuit, in my heart I, I don't want, this is like Romans 7, Paul said, in my heart I want to do the right thing. But boy, their evil is present within me, he says. He said, oh, wretched man am I. I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He said, well, Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. So let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become self-centered, conceited, provoking and envying one another. So there's just two verbs that we'll close with that Paul uses in this passage from 16 down through 26. He says, walk in the Spirit. And he says, be led by the Spirit. Those are phrases that over the years I've heard a thousand times. And I still I'm trying to wrap my mind around what it means. But to walk in the spirit is almost like if that's my my job, that's that's my responsibility. I am an active partner in the journey. If I can liken our relationship as a journey with Christ, I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to choose to walk. When my wife and I go to the park or go down by the water, whatever we do, we take a walk together. Now, sometimes I walk a little bit faster, she walk, you know, because of my stride, whatever, right? But she's always right there. She's, she's within just a few feet of me, or sometimes we're side by side. That's what he's saying. Walk together with the mm. God that I say. I walk with the God I say that I believe in. Walk means I have a responsibility. I've got to get up, and I've got to move. 
But the next piece, led by the Spirit, means I'm following. I'm, I'm participating, but I'm yielding. I'm, I'm yielding to where the Spirit leads. So it's not up to me where I go, but it is up to me whether I go, or whether I get up and walk. But it's up to Him, it's up to the Holy Spirit, where I go and what that looks like. Do you, you see, you hear the difference? Because, you know, if I just am up and moving and active, and, but I'm going everywhere I go, well, I'm not really being led by the Spirit, am I? But if I'm listening, because to be led, I've got to listen, I've got to look, I've got to anticipate, but I've got to also kind of stay with, like, like Bruce was just saying. You know, if Bruce was leading me, I could maybe be shoulder to shoulder with him sometimes, but maybe he'll be in front of me. But if he goes left, I go left. He goes right, I go right. I've got to yield to that leading. But if I'm trying to find my way out of the wilderness and I have no idea how to get out, that wilderness is going to consume me. So I need a guide. I need a trustworthy, tested, wise, and loving guide. This is what Paul is offering. This is what God offers us in the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to figure this out on your own. I will be your guide if you'll let me. You don't have to fight your, your dragons alone. You don't have to fight your, your urges alone. You don't have to fight your addictions alone. I will go with you. Let me be your guide. You know how that's best executed, how that's best um, walked out? is in a community of believers, is in a community of people, of men or women or both, where you're on the journey. I'm on the journey together with somebody else because I'm hearing God through them. I'm hearing God through another person. I'm watching someone else's walk. I can't emphasize enough. Trying to do this alone is like trying to find my way out of the, out of the wilderness, just telling myself I'm going to be okay. It's self-deception. You know, the difference between Jesus, there's a lot of differences, but one of the differences between Jesus and every other just spiritual leader, spiritual guide, is other spiritual guides will just point and say, go that way. You know, that, that's the way to selflessness. That's the way to nirvana. That's the way. But Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't just point the way. He says, follow me. Because he's the only one who has the power to do it. So we have to be connected. That's why the fruit of the Spirit, right, I have to be connected to be able to bear fruit, John 15 and 5, he says to his disciples just before the cross, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That, that's maybe the most perfect summation of Galatians that there is. <laughs> and, and Jesus said it to, to each of us.